G'day, Dominic Barfield here, and this is the RVC Clinical Podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for subscribing on your smartphone or generic fruit-based device. We're really grateful for you to taking the time to download and listen to this RVC podcast. And we don't ask for much in return, but we'd be incredibly grateful if you could pop to Apple Podcast or Acast and leave us a review, or any podcast provider that you actually uh, listen to this on. Obviously, a five-star review would be great. Uh, other reviews you can leave to different veterinary podcasts, that's fine. Um, but we really, really appreciate if you could take a couple of minutes of your time um, to leave us a review. So today, uh, joining um, Brian and myself in the studio, we're going to talk to uh, Dave Beeson. And hello, Dave. How, how are you? Oh, good. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Not not too bad. If you and if you remember, um, so we I can't, I can't actually remember the actual podcast number. I should have uh, sort of recorded <laughs> that. But uh, we spoke to Dave uh, about this time last year as uh, um, I suppose the transition from uh, student into into uh, general practice. And now it's uh, it's a year on. Where's the year gone? It's gone very, very quickly. Um, <laughs> yeah, very, very quickly. Kind of blurs. So we thought we'd catch up with you and, and find out um, uh, what's what's going on in in, in your life and and um, and how you how you found this sort of I suppose this progression, if you like, of that transition. It's very managerial speak, isn't it? But uh, um, this yeah, this this continues sort of transition in, in your in your uh, career. So are you you still at the the, the same clinic? That you yeah, yeah. So I'm still at my first job. Uh, really enjoying it. Um, kind of uh, getting a little bit more comfortable with day-to-day stuff um we're chatting before about just the routine things just kind of becoming routine now so um i I think it's just something that you have to go through as a new graduate is you you start thinking you go in and you think about everything you you do and when you do it a lot of times and i guess practice makes perfect you you start thinking about other aspects that you can improve and just the routine day-to-day consulting I, i don't generally think about as much obviously i'm thinking during the consult but i have my set way of taking a history and my set physical exam that I'm kind of refining as, as I go on so getting a lot more comfortable with things and where do you, do you think that that happened at, at some point in the in the in the last year as in was it yeah. sort of six months or a year down to it that you thought I've, I kind of know what I'm doing a bit more or? I guess when we spoke last time I was about three months in um and I'd say it's probably six in the six to twelve months like the second half of the year um I just realized that I wasn't having as many complications with things and um, my just general approach, uh, the, the way that I w- was approaching cases just changed. Um, so we were saying uh, before, just kind of switching from uh, the focusing so much on diagnostics and di- well diagnosis and having a definitive diagnosis and kind of switching and realizing not every client wants to know exactly what's going on. They just want Fluffy to be better. So focusing on more like a prognos- prognostic um, or prognosis based Based approach has been a big change for me uh, but yeah so there wasn't really one specific time but it's something that's kind of gradually happened and then you look back and you think oh god what how has this changed but you just become more comfortable I think and also so with this time you've complete, completed your PDP so that's your professional development phase so um, could you briefly explain what that is so I suppose we have listeners from uh, around the world yeah absolutely and I guess final years may sometimes listen to this as well yeah. revision so um, kind of coming up to that is uh, the, the professional development phase is set out by the RCVS um, and it's something that you're supposed to complete within the first three years of graduating and the idea is that it's um, it's not a tick box exercise and I think that's sometimes where people uh, misinterpret it a little bit um, it's very much about trying to think uh, critically about what you're doing and um, doing going through this process of critical reflection and thinking 
am I making mistakes? And absolutely, it's fine to make mistakes. It's human to make mistakes. Um, but if you are, then what's happening? How can you fix it? How can you improve in the future? So the PDP um, essentially has a, a set of criteria. Um, there, there's some very generic things on there, like um, uh, how many vaccines have you done? Are you comfortable doing a vaccine? And then it kind of goes through body systems at the bottom of the page. And there, there are various ways of completing it. The way that I kind of did it um, was to, to fill in the random numbers in terms of how many vaccinations have I done this week? How many euthanasias have I done? And then add specific notes to that. So um, if I had a particularly um, difficult euthanasia, um, I would write up about that and say how I found it difficult or uh, what would I do in the future having gone through that experience? And then the other way that I I tried to approach it was actually having cases. Um, so you, there's a, a section where you can essentially write up a case and I, it's very, very useful that I kind of write essays in my clinical notes. So I would pick a, a case that was particularly interesting or actually to, to the start generally routine cases so I remember having on my first bitch bay and writing about how I felt then um, and obviously you the, you're not trying to impress anyone it's not trying to show off it's just an accurate and honest uh, kind of appraisal of what you've done at that time so my first bitch bay on there I think I put I was really quite nervous um, and it's something that then when you come back to it and I, I had I think like my 10th bitch bay on there um, saying about how I've come on and how I've changed things and have I had any issues recently and um, it's very much the idea is to, to not tick the boxes you're not going to tick absolutely everything on there I hadn't seen a c-section but by the time I'd completed it but it's it's just getting used to having a general approach and making sure that you um, that you have seen a, a variety of things um, I completed it in in about six to eight months uh, which um, just I was lucky and I guess in the fact that I was in my practice I was surplus to requirements at the beginning so I had time to actually take take my time and um, I wasn't kind of thrown in to the deep end so I did have time to go through my PDP and uh, sort of assign time each week um, but it's very much just trying to get you to think about how you're learning making mistakes how you're then approaching those mistakes in the future and is this just reflection on yourself or does someone actually engage with what you're writing? So you have a PDP tutor um, and it's very much um, kind of personal how much you speak to them so um, I uh, I had gone through a fair few cases and then messaged my uh, my mentor um, uh, just saying how how is this looking am I sort of on track because I guess as a new graduate yes you're you're chatting to your friends about how they're doing but there's no real time scale um, and I guess you kind of go through university as if I kind of always use the analogy of pass, uh, passing your driving test so you have all your lessons, you go through through uh, your theory test, your practical test, and then you, you're essentially safe to drive. And I think that's really what vet school is about, is making you safe to practice. But I certainly know I've probably picked up some bad habits in my driving, but I've learned to drive since I've passed my test. And I think that's very much what it is. Um, so because there isn't that time scale, asking the, the sort of PDP tutor, um, am I progressing at an appropriate rate? Um, that was really my main contact with them and then um towards the end they just said oh i think if you you just write a little bit more in the, this area and for me um it was to do with the actual body systems i hadn't really written up specific cases um he was then happy after i'd done a few of those to, to sign me off 
And so that means you can go on and, and do some further studies and you already engage with that. So, so what, are you, what are you currently currently doing? Yeah, so um, it's a requirement uh, for all of the certificates um, to have completed your PDP. Um, so when you finish your PDP, you'll get a letter through uh, from the RCBS just saying you're, you're welcome to start if you want. And I guess there's no pressure to, but um, I'm in a practice where... I mean, there's now 12 of us um, and pretty much everyone is either doing or has done a certificate. So it's kind of the normal for that practice. And I guess that's it's been great for me to learn in that I've got people that um, have gone on. We have... Um, uh, Ingrid, who, who deals solely with skin, and if I have a difficult skin case, it, I can ask for for advice. And I guess that's kind of a little bit like the safety blanket that I was talking about last time as a student, but slightly reduced. Um, so I started my my certificate um, with the RCVS. Um, so so everyone um, essentially has to do a couple of the same modules. So you have your A and B module, and then four C modules. And I guess the C modules are where you start focusing on a particular thing. So um, I know actually having chatted to friends that not everyone is sort of aware of those options. And I guess the end point is that you become an advanced practitioner in a certain area, whether that is surgery um, or medicine, diagnostic imaging, cardiology, ECC, anesthesia. You, you kind of pick a subsection and it, it's not getting you to the, the, uh, the level of a specialist um, from an academic point of view but I've actually found the the amount of reading and, and literature that we have to go through is to a fairly high standard um, and it's just I I love learning and I love learning about learning so it's been really useful for me um, particularly the the A module um, so I'm uh, almost finished with that now but the start of it um, almost seemed a bit pointless when I was going into it um, and it was all talking about learning theory and critical reflection and all, all these kind of buzzwords that we were talking about before and actually having done those I then it's kind of set the stage for, for later stuff and there's um, a lot on ethics that we covered at, at uni but um, coming back to that was really useful and you, you have certain reports that you have to do so I had to do a welfare report where it wasn't necessarily a clinical case report but you write it as such so 1500 words have to reference it properly and it's got me thinking more critically about what I'm doing um, and there's a really good introduction into uh, sort of evidence-based medicine and I, I think that's something that obviously are looking at building into the curriculum in, in the future but um, and there's certainly more there is, there is uh, some stuff on that in the course but it, having that evidence-based medicine approach was really really useful and it, it's kind of made me realize that nothing is actually black and white um, and I think the more I go through this job the more I realize that veterinary medicine is various shades of gray and that there's no right or wrong answer or, or yes there are some wrong answers but um, it, it's very much even though we use this buzzword of evidence-based medicine it's not just looking at literature it's not just looking at anecdotal experience it's kind of taking everything into account so um, I think as a student you tend to think very much black and white and you think there's one right way to do everything um, and actually doing some further study into evidence-based veterinary medicine and realizing actually we don't have a lot of literature in the vet veterinary medical profession compared to human medicine um, and that we rely a lot on anecdote um, from clinicians and in the, in the fields, which is obviously very good, but it, it's just interesting to look at that side of things and realise that, I guess, if there was one right answer to everything, no patients would die. See. 
Yeah, absolutely. I suppose it does take a, a bit of time to work that out, and then you know you need to look into your uh, certain fields of interest and and look into that sort of sort of further. But but absolutely right, and I suppose that's what the RCVS knowledge is is trying to yeah, do. You yeah, know, generate some evidence based uh, medicine approaches, sort of in, mm. I suppose, in similar to the um, to the nice guidelines that they have in, in for the NHS in the UK. <clears throat> But it, you're absolutely right. It's kind of fraught with uh, um, complex issues about uh, the, the levels of evidence. Yeah, and just lack of data. And I guess that's one absolutely. of the things with the vet compass is that we're trying to get general practice, uh, general practitioner information, and been really useful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and but then uh, there's you know as as uh, more uh, learned people could could discuss, there's uh, there's issues with that as well. So yeah. so, so it's, it's you're right. It's finding the best thing out of a you know um, a, in the grey as, yeah. as, as it were. So um, so you, you said as well that you like the reflections process. Is that because you hadn't done that before? You enjoyed that in the PDP to think about what the cases that you you seen or done yeah and i i think the the thing is um outside of work um i i just find again like i said i'm a bit of a geek and i like learning and i like being in this learning environment and some of the stuff that i i guess i read um is more um non-fiction stuff so uh, like a, a good book that i've been reading recently is black box thinking by matthew syed and it's about how we make mistakes and actually comparing the human aviation industry to human medicine human aviation if there's another type of aviation but um thinking about that side of things and it, it's kind of just got me thinking about what i'm doing and i guess realizing that i, I think a lot of us are very emotionally tied to our clinical competence um and we feel that if you make a mistake that that is the end of the world and the reality is yes mistakes happen and it's crap when it happens but if you continue making the same mistake that's worse than making a mistake and then learning from it so the the pdp and the a module introducing me to that concept of critical reflection and not just kind of accepting that mistakes happen and i i guess the the thing for me as well has been just realizing that it's okay to make a mistake and it's gonna happen regardless you you can you can also you can go through and do a textbook workup and the reality is a patient doesn't ever read the textbook so you're gonna have discrepancies there so um certainly one thing that um, we're trying to introduce into our practice now and um, our last clinical meeting i kind of going on from the reading that i'd done um uh, talked about introducing morbidity mortality rounds now we're um i know for sort of practice standard schemes you kind of have to do that for, for a few and we're not um pss accredited but that's something that we're looking at introducing and i, I think i'm really kind of looking forward to getting over the initial awkwardness of, of kind of discussing your mistakes but i think it's, it's kind of crucial is one actually realizing when mistakes are being made because we have this cognitive dissonance of you, you get into uh, an area and you kind of don't realize you're making a mistake so uh, the critical reflection actually thinking about what i've been doing and whether there are better ways of doing it has been really useful it's based a lot of the ideas regarding those sort of more t morbidity and mortality rounds is to try and sort of close the loop so yeah. so you think that if you've made a mistake and for um for an example very common mistakes are, are um uh, medication errors or yeah. you know 10 times a dose etc yeah. etc but you you know, I can guarantee that 
out of the 12, one other person at least has done that. Yeah, absolutely. And so the, the, I suppose the, the crime, if there was, uh, if there was uh, probably not a more appropriate word, is that that information is not disseminated. So people yeah. think about that more, more um, you know, when they, when they approach yeah. that, that this is actually yeah. a, a common thing that happens. Yeah. How do we try and avoid yeah. this? But, and, you know, medication errors are yeah. something that happens in, in human yeah. hospitals as well. And, and they've tried a variety of different things to reduce them. But, but again, talking about it and, and they say conversing about it is probably mm. better than documenting it or anything else. So you can at least you know tell the the new starters uh, this, these these are our con- concerns. Mm-hmm. So it's fine to double check with someone, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Mm. Um, that's uh, that's that's really good. I, I think you should uh, should do that. That's a very encouraging thing to have those those types of conversations, especially mm. if and and they shouldn't be awkward at all. It should just be a, an open and yeah. uh, um, a safe space, I suppose, like with with anything to to talk about that. And again, it's not about appropriating blame. It's more no. to say, how do we reduce the chances? Yeah, of this absolutely. And I think there's there's always going to be a little bit of a backlash when we talk about protocols and, and things because people worry that it's going to take away their their clinical independence. And certainly, that's something that initially I I felt is that why would I want to go into practice and have a hypothyroidism protocol? But the reality is is that these protocols are based on the average patient presenting in the average way. So it's not a a checklist or you have to do this it's very much a guideline um, and you adapt either way but um it's it's good. i'm really looking forward to to seeing what we can come up with no absolutely and, and in the same process guidelines or algorithms tend to work well with people that are less familiar in that circumstance mm. so if you're joining a team or you're not quite sure what to do mm. if you follow that plan whereas whereas if you're advanced or uh, i suppose you know well familiar with that then you actually might have a different approach and i suppose that's where if you say everyone should do one thing that might be difficult but if you have a direction of what to follow if you're um in the dark then then actually that that would be beneficial for the majority i suppose that's Mm -hmm. that's that's kind of the idea i think about that um and uh and you're and you you enrolled in a, a, a train the trainer course as well yeah so one thing that i've i've always been sort of passionate about is is teaching and i guess that goes right down through all my education and certainly how i learn best is from trying to teach and i, I think if you if you're trying to teach something you have to know that particular topic very well and it's just we we see a fair few ems students uh, at my practice and i guess i was an ems student at my practice and i had a really fantastic experience so um i kind of learned from the people that were teaching me in terms of how to to teach but i just wanted to do something a little bit more structured so um elizabeth chan uh, at the rbc runs a training the trainer online webinar course i'm not trying to sell a plug or anything but it was just we, we uh, can keep that in yeah. <laughs> It was um, just a, a little introduction into learning theory and how we can make the EMS experience more positive. And I guess coming from uh, being a recent graduate and actually having recent experience of EMS, it was really interesting to see some of the more um, senior qualified people on the course um, discussing some of their barriers to EMS and whether they were similar. And I, I guess the, the thing with all of these online courses is actually probably one of the most beneficial parts is the online forum discussions. And you, you hear from people in different different practices and different approaches, different problems that they face. So um, essentially the course looked at um, not necessarily building an EMS program. I mean, that's something that I've done as a result of, but it's looking at initially 
introduction to learning theory like how do we learn how can uh, we sort of direct things and one of the things that really resonated with me is actually having a structured program kind of gets it away from this magpie learning of students and certainly that's something that I felt I did reflecting back is that if you if you don't have some structure to your EMS then you will go and you, you'll pick things up but often you'll pick things up out of context and you you pick up the shiny things which I guess where this magpie learning phrase comes from um, but you don't necessarily entirely appreciate the context so it was really interesting just having that initial learning theory stuff as I said I like learning and I like learning about learning so that was really useful um, and then it kind of went on to specific scenarios so um, how do you deal with um, a student learning from consults or how do you deal from a student learning um, from surgery without doing the surgery um, and it, it was just a really interesting sort of introduction and I guess there's there's a reason why teachers spend so long training um, in doing their PGTEs in, in terms of how you actually teach people but as a basic introduction it was really useful and really interesting so um, again I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes of this EMS program. So you said you you sort of organised a programme for your... Yeah, so um, essentially the, the, the main takeaways I took from that course was that feedback and having an induction are, are kind of the main things and actually giving a chance um, for students to prepare for feedback. So... Um, Obviously, the the experience that a student has when they go to practice is going to be very varied um, based on caseload, which staff are in, um, and a whole variety of things. But one of the things I've kind of set is just there are specific things that we would like to do. And I've actually taken some examples from um, some of my best EMS placements. Now, I'm a, I'm a small animal practitioner now, and I can't really remember much about farm work. But one of my best EMS placements was at a farm practice where they had a very structured EMS program. So the essentially the the outline of it is that a student will come on monday morning and before that i've actually written out a little questionnaire form so getting them to set some specific goals before they get to us so um and i, I say in the form just list three things and if we can get to those fantastic and try and be specific but at the same time flexible so if your only goal is to do a dog castrate and we don't have any castrates in that week you're going to be disappointed but if if you want to say practice ligatures or um talk about uh, like placing catheters then we, we can try and make sure you do that and then so that's kind of the the first bit and then um the the next crucial part is sort of midweek feedback so um generally we have students for two weeks so um the idea is that on the thursday i say go and have a think about what you've done this week um try and prepare um bring cake if if you like <laughs> um but uh we'll we'll have a chat just an informal discussion how you felt the week's been um what have you met your goals that we set um if you haven't how can we go about changing the next week so that we can get those and then obviously some final feedback and then actually just from um from kind of almost of a recruitment sense uh, in that um we then plan the next EMS experience. So if they've enjoyed it, and hopefully they have, um, then we can book in the next EMS slot. So there, there are various other things. Like I said, we, we have a, a, an advanced practitioner in dermatology. So um, I know certainly in, in universities, skin is kind of taking a, a, kind of a, a, a back seat with a lot of things, but 
in general practice you will deal with a lot of skin a lot of ears um so i've set aside two mornings to, to work with ingrid and then um two mornings to work with our nurses on anesthesia and get them measuring uh, blood pressures and doing tprs and things very much like you would do in in rotations but actually just kind of applying that to a practice scenario as well um and then uh, i guess the only other thing that i've incorporated which again um is it, just taking a little bit of preparation is that every time i've had an interesting cytology or actually yeah um some good textbook cytology of, of malassezia otitis I, i've kept that slide and labeled it and i have sort of about 20 30 slides that i can then get students to go through and the whole point of this training the training course was actually realizing that if you want to do some teaching the onus doesn't have to always be on you and actually um a student will get much more out of a set task where they go away for two, three hours and have a look at something um, and then come back than just standing in consults and watching you do vaccinations. Um, obviously, there's a lot you can grab as a student um, in terms of the vaccination and the health check consult, but um, I certainly felt as a student that a lot of the time I was kind of sat around and that's with me trying to be engaging as well. So having a set topic to go and look at or formulate an evidence-based question and look at why do we recommend neutering that sort of thing is kind of on this ems program so it's just again it probably isn't going to happen for every student that comes in but it's something that i'm interested in and if i can get it to work then it works so, so apart from uh, like finishing off your pdp and enrolling in the certificate and also doing that train the trainer course and sorting out the ems for uh, your students have you how's your work-life balance going there, yeah. <laughs> yeah so i guess um i do spend a lot of time at work um and this is one of the things we were chatting about just before i started the podcast is that i think work-life balance is a bit of a buzzword um and i think if you don't enjoy your job to the point where you're counting down the hours every day you're in the wrong job um so for me the work-life balance comes from the fact that actually i really enjoy my job and i enjoy what i do on a daily basis so if i end up doing extra reading at night it's because i want to um I don't have to sit any exams. The, the reality is I, I'm doing this extra reading and extra learning and doing these other things that are kind of paraclinical because I enjoy doing it. I have somewhat of a life outside of work and I, I carry on with, with my hobbies, but um, for me, it's not a stressful thing. And if, if it were, I wouldn't be doing it. So I'm not saying that everyone needs to go out and start a certificate straight away, do everything with EMS. It's, it's not what everyone wants to do, but it's just something that I enjoy. And, and I think that's the biggest thing is that I'm still enjoying what I do um, and I, I think going forward as long as I'm enjoying what I, I, I'm doing you don't need to change anything and I think that the issue that I had reported back from some of my friends is just that they're not enjoying their job and that's when work-life balance in the traditional sense of what are your working hours and what are you are doing outside of work become more important so if you're going to work and you're not enjoying things then I think yes you kind of what one look at why you're not enjoying things critically reflect on what's going wrong and and see if you can make any changes but if you're not able to do that, then I, I think it's more than acceptable to look elsewhere. There's not going to be a perfect job and every job's going to have ups and downs. But um, I know of friends that have kind of stayed in jobs because they felt like they had to. And then as soon as they've moved, they've rediscovered their love for the job. And at the end of the day, it's really sad to see students go through five years of training to then leave the profession after a year. And certainly there are people in my year group that have left. Um, and that's really sad. And 
people go into this for different things but for me it's, it's it's a vocation it's something that i want to do for the rest of my life and i can say this at the moment being a, a sprightly young recent grad um but for me the work-life balance thing is very much about actually enjoying work um and then i think the work-life balance in a traditional sense will come yeah, I, I, you think so? So uh, yeah, you're right. Um, I've heard people talk about work-life balance, and you're right. It's, it's your your own opinion. But people talking about work-life balance, saying that there's no such thing because you either enjoy yeah. each time, but it's more to to make sure that you're present in the moment if you're in different places. So, and and I think just because there's other factors that come into it. So if you start to have a family, yeah. then you'll you'll have different pressures of your yeah. time. So how are you going to resolve all those all those things? Mm-hmm. But uh, but so so I suppose it depends on. Where, yeah. where you are yeah, exactly. in your in your life as well and what and what's going on but yeah. but but uh, but um but yes I, I i agree that uh it tends to be a buzzword and if you enjoy your work then, yeah. then that's sort of fine as long as it yeah. doesn't necessarily dominate anything or make you know other relationships or family yeah exactly as long as it's not restricting the other aspects of your life um and i think it's that's the thing is that i'm still going out and i'm doing things that i enjoy um, on a weekly basis that's really good. And and so are you? Uh, are you still uh, going to the gym a lot and yeah. uh, cooking your meals once a week? Yep, that, that's still a regular thing. I have kind of moved on. So I've got Jamie Oliver's fifteen minute cookbook, and I'm doing a new recipe every week. And it, it's things are looking good. But uh, yeah, I still uh, kind of cook my meals in advance. And it uh, it's something again. It's not for everyone, but for me, it means that I can eat well. Um, I can eat good food, and I I guess. It's easy for me because most of the recipes will cook for four portions. So um, I can just put stuff away. And I, I guess just from a, a mental health kind of things, it's one less stress that I have to worry about. And for me, the gym has been my anchor in that it's something that I can carry on doing. And I have ups and downs with that very much as I do with, with everything. But uh, for me, going to the gym every morning just kind of sets the day. And again, it's not for everyone, but um, I, I know... We're, we're realizing more and more how much um, exercise can impact um, sort of stress and anxiety and, and mental health issues. And um, I, as far as I'm aware, um, in human medicine, they're actually looking at not just sort of cardiovascular exercise being a requirement. I think the current recommendation is like three 30 minute sessions a week but actually they're looking at resistance training in terms of ongoing chronic pain and certainly for, for me that's something that I, I'm quite passionate about and um, just today actually I popped into the practice to to help one of our uh, vets out with some, some physio stuff where she's struggling with some shoulder pain so interest in, in and outside of the gym are sort of keeping me going. That's good. Are you, are you doing anything different in the in the gym that you were doing last year? Or? Not particularly. I'm a little bit creature of habit. Um, I, I did, as I mentioned last time that I, I was going to try to get into a team sport. I'm yet to, to do that, I guess. Creature of habit. I like not having to rely on um, other people performing, but I, I don't know what I'm going to do long term in terms of that. But I, I really enjoyed my rowing, and it's something I want to get back. And everyone always says that you don't necessarily leave that Um uh, as as a sport, it's something that you always return to. So hopefully, long term, I'll get back into that. That sounds that sounds um, something good to uh, to get back into. Um, and also, you've been involved in uh, RVC Thrive. What, yeah, what's, what's so that? it's um, again a bit of a buzzword, but um, essentially the idea is that um, and it, I I posted the idea up on um, a Facebook group, which I mentioned last year, uh, Veteran Voices UK, um, and just w- try to get some feedback on on what people thought were was missing in the veterinary curriculum and i guess we have all the clinical teaching but this this 
paraclinical element of communication skills, time management, learning theory, um, just how we can develop personally as well as professionally. Um, so met up with a, a few people that were interested in setting something up and initially came from the RBC's Business Alliance. Now, I'm, I'm not very business savvy at all. Um, and my interest in what I do isn't really in the financial side of things. But a lot of, of the uh, the paraclinical stuff focusing on communication skills actually ends up in being good business. So um, the reality is, is that um, it's something that came up in my reading this week for my certificate actually was that clients come to you and they they kind of expect and kind of assume your clinical competence they're coming to you because of that things that are going to make them stay uh, are the professional side of things so your communication skills how you've dealt with them so the idea behind this society is kind of filling in the gaps and um essentially the the rbc thrive stands for teaching health and resilience in veterinary education and it's again it's a bit of a buzzword but it kind of works um and i guess the idea is that we're not trying to take away from the the course at all um there's a lot of didactic teaching in terms of the the professional skills and i think that that needs to stay where it is but just kind of um integrating some extracurricular stuff in so we we actually i was down last week for the first rbc thrive symposium which was really interesting and i, I was giving a talk on making the most of ems um though there are only 15 people that turned up uh, it's a very relatively small but it, it will grow it, w- it will grow that's the idea and we've had some really good feedback and uh, as i said we did a little bit of market research in terms of um where what people thought we could do and i certainly i had people from vds rcbs vet life uh, lots of different people that are interested in getting on board so hopefully it's something that is initially going to start up at rbc i mean we had um someone a very keen student from the university of liverpool actually travel down for the weekend to to, to go to it so they're hoping on take to, to take it back to liverpool so it's hopefully something that will will take off and it's just trying to get students thinking about the stuff that as a student you don't necessarily think is important but when you get out into into practice you realize you really should have paid attention it's always that uh, non-examinable not, or, or yeah. hard to see yeah. it's relevant. Yeah, um, and again, we spoke about this last time in that um, it's difficult to get students to focus on stuff that isn't going to be directly tested. Um, but I'm hoping that going to this as a recent graduate, people, it's something we were talking about the other week, um, that students will tend to connect with people of a similar age group. Um, so my input on this was again I have no qualifications in teaching whatsoever um, but I can give my honest experience of what it was like as a recent graduate and the things that I felt were important so the idea really is from my point of view is just letting the students know that there is some stuff that's going to be important and yes your clinical stuff is really important too but if you want to, to stay in the profession and be successful in what you do you need to think about the paraclinical stuff as well. Yeah, absolutely. That's really good. And so is that going to be an an annual event then? So aiming for biannual. uh, Yeah, so twice yearly. um, And uh, the idea is that as well, there's going to be some structured webinars on sort of a monthly basis. So at the moment, it's it's in very early days. 
there, there was a lot of at the symposium about sort of mindsets and whether you're a fixed or growth mindset, which is really interesting. Um, essentially being, uh, there's a guy, um, Alan Robinson from Vet Dynamics, who does a lot of coaching with vets uh, out in practice in terms of what, what we can do. And he takes a lot of stuff from, from Brian Faulkner, who I know lectures at the RBC occasionally um, in terms of communication skills. Um, so it, it's taking the, the stuff that we're already talking to vets about from that side of things, but bringing it early on because i think from from a recruitment point of view the idea is that if you can improve students ability to think about the paraclinical skills that transition is going to be better for them um i think some students don't struggle with it at all um but I think would still benefit from from thinking about the the mindset stuff. Are you are you open to making mistakes? Are you are you gonna be in this fixed or growth mindset? So the idea is just trying to um, again teach that paraclinical stuff that is being covered, but maybe not in as much detail um, as I now realise is important. So one of the uh, podcasts I listened to, uh, Dave, is, is called Mastering Intensive Care. And, and this is uh, and something that's on Life in the Fast Name. It's kind of like an emergency medicine for, for people blog. And they talk to these uh, gurus in, in uh, critical care gurus, like, you know, people that are you know, world-renowned mm. people. Uh, and they talk about how they how they work day to day and talk about um, their uh, um, how they go about making themselves the best person to, to go to work. And a lot of the things they talk about are communication. And you ask mm. these people that are 30 year experience, you know, what do you think about your communication? And they say could be better. Yeah. You know, how humble is, yeah. is that? And, and yeah, that's, absolutely. that's the people at the top of their game who've been doing yeah. it for a long time. And they, and it is quite humbling when you yeah. think, actually, you know, you can, you can always, it can always be better. So after you finish um, Black Box Thinking, so you can, so Carol Dweck is the person yeah, who's written the book on mindset. Yeah. So that's the mindset book. Yeah. So that's her, her, yeah. her stuff. And, and then you can read about grit as well. And there's yeah. other things yeah, to, I'll, uh, go on to, to it. I'll, I'll, I'll throw tend, in your direction. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to listen to audiobooks. I did. Uh, I, I have a, a subscription to Audible, so I get a new book every month. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, the, the Carol Dweck uh, Mindset Psychology of Success isn't on audio, um, so I, I've kind of ordered that as a book. So it will probably take me a long, long time to read. Uh, but yeah, it's really interesting. I think um, that it's absolutely that's what it is, is. That it's a humbling thing when you have people from this experience. One of the the best books I've read recently or sort of listened to was that it's going. This is going to hurt by uh, Adam Kay. Um, so a, a doctor that has talked about his experiences going from being a, a, a new graduate, and I guess from going through their F1, F2 years to, to junior to senior house officer and um, really eye-opening books. I'd recommend that as well. Do you think you're going to write the veterinary equivalent of that, Dave? Or? I don't know. I think there'd be some copyright issues there. <laughs> Well, probably not if you if you actually write it about well, yeah, your yeah, experiences. True. Yeah. Um, so um, so maybe just sort of finishing up a little bit. So what what would you um, what would you like to have told yourself last year to have made this year better? Um, I think thinking back about the experiences I've had is that your the the stuff that i found really interesting at university the, the really intense medical cases where um you really had to think um they're not always going to come along and i think if that's the only thing that gives you enjoyment then you're going to struggle but actually 
I've found different avenues in practice that I never thought I would. Um, so essentially, one, one of my colleagues, who um, he's left, he went to, to an internship and I was uh, doing his medicine residency up in Edinburgh. He was kind of the dental guy at my practice. And when he left, that niche had to be felt uh, filled. So that's something that I've ended up taking on initially reluctantly. But actually, when you do something so much, you might as well start enjoying it. And that's actually a, an avenue that um, obviously a lot of a lot of vets hate dental work. And I, I still have the odd cat dental that I cry about. But um, finding different avenues, I think, is, is really important to staying in, in a positive working environment. I, I think if, if you, all you focus on is the really cool procedures that you see at university, then you will be disappointed with general practice. Um, but I, I think it, there's so much to be gained and so many avenues that you can go down that if, if telling myself this last year would have been useful and branching out. So actually, although I went into practice thinking, oh yeah, all I really enjoy is medicine, I still enjoy my surgery um, and at the end of the day we're trying to become not omnicompetent but sort of multi-competent vets in a variety of disciplines and not restricting yourself and, and taking on different things that maybe you don't initially enjoy you may find actually after a bit of time you do enjoy it so the, the dentistry for me has been one thing that um, I never thought I was going to enjoy um, but actually it's something that you can really get into and I think that would take a lot of convincing for some people but just I guess people that are going into that have graduated this year um, if anyone's listening i would just be open with your options um don't necessarily focus down a specific route because things can change um and the year is going to go so quick i i genuinely can't believe how quick the last 15 months of being in practice have, have been and um it was back in august where i had my sort of I, i've been here for a year and it's just you have clients that i'm now seeing i saw their puppy for their first vaccine last year um and that it's is something really enjoyable is that I'm now seeing that they have been my clients for the last year and seeing just this puppy growing up and I guess there's a little bit of an analogy in comparison there with the, the the kind of growing up that I've done over the last year and um, I think as I said the main thing is just realizing that at the stage of a new graduate don't be restrictive in what you, you're trying to do and try and embrace everything you don't have to go and read up about everything if you enjoy it absolutely go ahead I, I think going and cpd has been one of the biggest things for me that has kept me enjoying my, my job um and hopefully we'll continue to do that but don't feel like you have to read up about things but if if you are interested in a, an area go ahead and do that but just keep yourself open for, for other things and what advice are you going to give yourself to uh um i suppose keep everything going for, for next year i think just keep up the momentum so as i said i've started my certificate and I, i'm looking forward to to getting into into the nitty gritty of the B module um, in, in January, I've signed up for that. Um, but I think that's the, the thing is that it, it's focusing on on what what you enjoy about work and I think as long as you focus on that not not necessarily what you're doing but as long as you're enjoying things I think that's the way to, to keep going and then also just making sure I don't become lax in what I'm doing and trying to keep up to date and again being receptive to other people's opinions um, the reality is is that 20 years of experience is going to mean a lot more than a year of experience even if things aren't being dealt with in completely the, the textbook way I think someone uh, like when I have friends friends that are much more experienced with me and it, they may suggest something that's slightly different to what I would initially do they've had that experience that I haven't and certainly there, there are still things I, I'm having my first experience of um, on a weekly basis I had my first pericardial fusion the other week and it, I had to think back at, in terms of my notes of what to do 
um but you're still going to have new experiences so i guess if i was giving myself the advice it's just carry on doing what you're doing because at the moment i'm enjoying what i'm doing so do you think you'll be able to uh, join us uh, next year, Dave, or, or maybe you'll, you'll have your yeah, own maybe, uh, podcast? Yeah, yeah maybe then. I need to uh, have a Thrive podcast uh, where I talk about all of these issues. I think you've just given me an idea there, Tom. Fair, fair enough. Well, but even still, if you have a, a, a good podcast, maybe um, maybe you could come back and yeah. have a chat with us uh, next That'd year. That would be good fun. Well, thank you very much for your time, Dave. I know you're, you're a busy person with, uh, with everything you're doing, and uh, we'll wrap it up there. So many thanks for listening, and don't forget to hit that subscribe button on your generic fruit-based device, and that way you don't even have to worry about missing a podcast. If you could leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, that would be great. And don't forget to tell your friends, vet friends, or any others, and we'll place some show notes on the RVC pages. So if you just type in RVC Clinical Podcast in your search engine of choice, it should be top of the tree. So if you have any comments or suggestions for this podcast, please get in touch. You can either email dbarfield at rvc.ac.com, or tweet at Don Barfield. Until next time, bye-bye.